there. Welcome to Rock Facts, uh, the podcast where we talk about awesome facts about the wrestler and actor Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, today's episode will be about the fact that Dwayne Johnson uh, at The Rock is the ninth most followed user on Instagram by number of followers, 94.2 million. Don't you have anyone to introduce? No. I'm joined by Brian Hamilton. What do you think about that, Brian? Uh, Instagram is where I post my pictures of us watching Over the Garden Wall, which we're doing for this podcast. And we today watched episode seven, The Ringing of the Bell. Uh, we're talking about the emotional crux of the show, I believe, where things go from relatively lighthearted but also dark to like the darkest thing that it can possibly be. All of a sudden, the show gets a much different tone because one of the main characters has betrayed us and their loss beatrice's loss is so profoundly felt through this episode and it's sad it's truly sad uh but it works because everything is bleak at this point not only did they lose a friend but they don't have a way home anymore exactly it's the first peek into hopelessness the episode starts off with uh, this beautiful tinkling piano as the rain is falling. The rain is falling in the same way that the tone is falling for, uh, during these piano notes. And I think it works really well. That's uh, a pretty common musical element to have like piano be rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're walking through the rain. They're looking for a place to wait out the rain. And the difference between Wirt and Greg is really starting to show through where Wirt is becoming extremely bleak about all of this. And Greg is still ever the optimist. It's very, very sweet. But the difference between them is starting to become a little bit too emotionally heavy. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really sad moment where Wirt says, I don't care, do what you want. Or you can do whatever you want. And Greg takes that as, whoa, I can do whatever I want. That's a lot of power. And then a tree falls. Whoa! Did I chop down that tree with my power? Which, like, please. I hope so. Because that would be the most sweet power you could have. Uh, the Woodsman shows up. And this is the first time we've seen the Woodsman since episode four. Where they think that the Woodsman is the beast. Uh, but it is also revealed to us, the audience, that he is not. And he's genuinely trying to help these people in a very <laughs> intense way, just by yelling at them about the beast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's trying to get through to them, and they're like, no, uh, you're the beast. They do another, uh, give him the old kickaroo, uh, where Wirt kicks the lantern down, and he picks it up. And it's an effective way to kind of go for the jugular for the woodsman. But it's also, it's kind of silly in that he just kind of kicks it, then runs away, and then the scene ends. Uh, which is something that I've always felt like, okay, that's fine. They kind of need to move things along. But character-wise, it feels like there's still something heavy to be had. I always forget about this plot point. I always forget that the woodsman sees them again before they meet Lorna. Um, and I think it's because a lot of it is a little bit throwaway. There's not a whole bunch that is added by this interaction, except that you see the beast again. Exactly. And I feel like the reason that we kind of forget this interaction is because the beast is there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what sticks in our memories about this. 
because we see more every other time we've seen the beast it's been at night and it's been very creepy and the silhouette of the beast has been terrifying but now it's only kind of overcast it's pouring rain but it's still kind of overcast and you get this is i'm gonna uh wax poetic for a second the moment where it's overcast but there's still lots of light somehow coming through the clouds where you can't see the sun at all but the surface of the world is still very bright that's where they are now but the beast is still a dark silhouette, and it's creepy. <laughs> right. Uh, they need to look for a place to wait out the storm, and one of my favorite little comedic moments in the series is, oh, cool, as long as it's not that old broken down, oh, wait, look, it's perfect. <laughs> and it's so silly because people actually live there, but it does look weird and, and like old and broken down. Yeah, they don't realize that people live there, which is, you know, again, suspending my disbelief, but as two kids from the 90s, like, would they hide in a random house? I don't know. It. I mean, I think that I appreciate the fact that Greg questions it because that makes it a little more realistic that, like, it's not like they're doing it and not questioning it. Mm-hmm. They build a fire. They light a bunch of candles. And then Greg yells, we're rich. Turtle rich. <laughs> it's a whole bunch of turtles. Uh, where? Whenever I think of the turtles in the show, this is what I think of. This big basket of turtles. Where else have they shown up? They showed up in episode one when the dog eats it. There's one in another episode where the woodsman is just hanging out and a turtle walks around. Uh, I think one shows up with one of the animals in episode three, but these turtles are such a big part of this world, and I wonder th- what their relationship to the beast is. Because they're, like, black and shadowy. Black, shadowy, and then the dog at the very beginning eats one and becomes kind of... Uh... I feel like the turtles just turn characters into Miyazaki characters, because... <laughs> <laughs> the dog eats it, and he's a Miyazaki character, and Auntie Whispers eats it, and she's a Miyazaki character. Exactly. Auntie Whispers just kind of pops him in her mouth, like uh, like tasty popcorn. Yeah. Uh, but they have a whole bunch of turtles. They're turtle-rich. And Lorna comes up, and in a really funny moment for people that are re-watching this, she says, Oh, I finished sorting the... <gasps> who are you? And we know now that she just finished sorting the bones of those who have been gobbled up. Uh, but... Wart and Greg don't know that, and if they did, they would absolutely run away. Right. Uh, this also goes back to the vignette at the very, very, very beginning of episode one, where we see somebody that looks a lot like Lorna from the back looking at a whole bunch of bones. And as we discussed then, I didn't think about who that could have been, but now we know it's Lorna. And right. it's uh, it's really, really cool. So Wirt and Lorna meet. What do you think of their first meeting? Because it's such a weird situation, but they still kind of hit it off. They're like so awkward and they just blush and they're like, ah, ah, like awkward (laughs) preteens. And like, same. That's how I've loved my whole life. It's so, so sweet. Uh, There's Greg, of course, being Greg and kind of throwing a monkey wrench into things. We are robbers. We've come to burgle your turts, which is... My favorite thing is when they start flirting and... uh, and Wirt suggests that they can break her out. Um, oh, the other thing we haven't mentioned is that, like, all of a sudden Lorna's talking about Auntie Whispers and how she's not a real aunt and she's not allowed to, like, see doctors and all that kind of stuff. And so Wirt, understandably, is like, this is horrible. This is a really bad situation. How about we break you out? Um, and so when they're getting started to clean... The, the point I was going to make originally is that, like, they get started cleaning and as Lorna hands Wirt like a towel and as their hands touch they both like blush and greg goes like something's going on here (laughs) they're very quickly developing these feelings for each other that 
to me, highlights the similarities between them in that Lorna is trapped in the situation where these kind of terrible things are happening and she doesn't know how to get out of them versus Wirt, who's just an emo teenage boy. So, of course, he thinks he's in a situation he can't get out of and is trapped just as much as Lorna. <laughs> well, and also, like, they're preteens and they're attracted to each other and that's just, like, the way that it works. Uh, Lorna says, okay, yeah, sure, fine, whatever, hush, hush, Auntie Whispers is coming. Oh, who? No, no, Auntie Whispers, seriously. And as soon as she mentions Auntie Whispers coming home, we get more of that, like, piano tinkly music, which is so evocative of, like, a creepy, ghouly, ghosty, haunted house that... Okay, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on a podcast before, but this is something I think about a lot. I'm sure I have at some point. In Paper Mario, the (laughs) Nintendo 64 game, one of my very favorite games of all time, there is a ghost level where you have to side with the booze to keep them from being gobbled up by a uh, uh, an evil villain. I think his name is something. It's it's similar to Koopa Troopa in that it's an internally rhyming uh, Mario character, but the shtick of this level of the game is that you have to turn invisible to get past these uh, ghost gobbling monsters. And the music and anti-whispers and the fact that they're hiding in this big basket of turtles reminds me so much of this one level of Mario, which, again, gives me this kind of nostalgia for this episode, even though it only came out three years ago. Right. It harkens back to my childhood so much. Well, that's a really interesting tidbit. <laughs> Not as interesting as, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson facts, but I think it's up there. I wish I had another fact to, to display here. Uh, there's the establishing of the bell that can make Lorna obey the commands of whoever's ringing it. And the bell kind of, like, looks like Lorna? It does, and you don't really piece that together until you see the demon form, but that creepy bell is Lorna in her demon form. Uh, she winds up being compelled to tell them to look, tell Auntie Whispers, who suspects that there's someone in the house. Uh, Lorna is compelled to tell her, look in the basket of turtles. And so uh, Auntie Whispers kind of laughs that off as, oh, I see, you meant the turtles. This isn't some horrible secret. This is just the turtles, which is a really wonderful, like, loophole in the system. Uh, She has to tell the truth, but not the whole truth, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, and this is where, like, they have this little scene where they're both cleaning up. And then I think one of the nicest songs of the whole show, which is, like, 20 (sighs) seconds long, they're like, here we are, the the two two of us. Whenever we watch this episode together... We sing this song to each other because we're disgusting. Yeah, it's uh, super gross. Don't ever go out to eat with us. But it's uh, it's really sweet because meanwhile, all this is happening. Greg is playing with uh, Dr. Cucumber. And I love that both of these things can exist simultaneously because according to Wirt, they can't. Because Greg is always ruining whatever romantic things he has planned because he's so silly. But still works out, kind of. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know... It's a it's like a passing attraction that you have when you're young. I wouldn't know I'm old. <laughs> uh, another little element of that is, well, perhaps we can break you out. And part of the sweet moment that uh, Wirt and Lorna have together is, oh, let's break you out. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, let's do it. Greg chimes in, can we come too? Rawr. And like, <laughs> well, I think one of the really sweet parts of this episode is Lorna goes, well, yeah. I guess maybe this time it could be different. Because you... she thinks to herself, maybe I won't turn into my demon form. 
Yeah, she wants to believe that there's something about Wirt that could make it different, as opposed to, like, the the night air is still the night air that's still going to transform her into whatever she is. And, like, believing that a partner can, like, uh, make your demons less pronounced? Yep, never fallen into that trap before. Nope. <laughs> hey! You're joking about me now, aren't you? No, I'm just, I think that's a pretty classic thing to do, actually. Like, a pretty classic relationship mistake is to be like, oh, I have, like, these certain flaws or, like, these certain things that I've never worked through before. But, like, being with a new person will make me suddenly not have these, like, abilities or, like, attributes. Exactly, exactly. Which works well in this episode because she is a literal demon and not a figurative demon. Right. (laughs) Greg runs upstairs to find uh, Dr. Cucumber. You can run and you can hide. (laughs) like there's no like butt in there and i think it's really cute uh dr cucumber you need in the operating room and it cuts away very similarly to uh the dog in the first episode you have beautiful eyes and just cuts away uh to we're not dealing with that uh i also love the very 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 subtle sound effects of uh the frog going roar and then the bell ringing at the very 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 end of that cut that makes it look like or that makes it sound like he ate the bell right and it but foreshadows you wouldn't catch it. that unless you knew it exactly they're just kind of passing sound effects if you don't know that but looking back you're like oh that's when he eats the thing it's like last episode something i wanted to bring up when you know that wort stole the scissors to make beatrice human again the escape from adelaide you're looking for that moment when wort is able to take the scissors uh, as he's escaping. Right. In the same way. So then comes the reveal that, you know, uh, Auntie Whispers thinks that the children will be gobbled up. Well, they they go into the closet. Like, they go and hide in the closet. And, and she's like, no! And she's like, you will be gobbled up. You will be eaten. And they're like, by you, no. But then transforming behind them. There's the reveal that they think Auntie Whispers is the one that's gobbling them up because she's the weird, creepy one. But turns out it's Lorna. And, and Greg a, explains as much. Yeah, it's a literally like meta way that Greg is like, just makes you think about stuff. <laughs> just makes you think about stuff and not the fact that you're about to die. And then they break out through a window. Well, that's always confused me. Was this just another room or a closet? Or... Yeah, some sort of closet with a window. Because I thought... Don't question it. I thought that they had run outside at that point. Every time I watch this, I think that they're outside. They go through a window. No, uh, so they go through a door, they prop the door shut to get away from Auntie Whispers, and then Lorna transforms. Yes. Every time that happens, I think they're outside, and then they jump through another window, and I think, wait, where was that? It's like a little room they're in. Don't question it. Okay, so, because my theory was that, like Adelaide, it's the night air that is making Lorna do, like, turn into a demon. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just like... With the promise of children, she turns into a demon. That's true. That makes sense. Or the Uh, promise of, like, a victim. uh, Something I did not catch until this watching. Uh, The very first thing she says in her demon form, which is creepy as hell, and her voice is extremely modulated. She goes, I'm sorry, my turtle. Very Samara from The Ring. Yeah. Uh, Very heavily modulated voice. The first thing she says is, uh, more bones to sort. Right. I didn't know that. I just thought it was creepy things she said. I didn't Google this. I just finally clicked for me. Oh, more bones to sort, I guess. There we go. Right. The creature design for Lorna is terrifying. Yeah, she is so creepy. The way that she moves reminds me a lot of the Babadook, which is one of our favorite movies that we've watched many times together. And 
the way that she moves in a very stuttery, almost stop motiony sense, very jittery, very slow, and then very fast, and then very slow and very fast again. It's like it's very disorienting. Extremely. They're running through the the forest. It's terrifying because Lauren is really scary. And they jump into a lake. Greg goes, let's try my plan now. Yeah, because they're just running away because part of this part of the series is Greg trusting Wirt to have a plan. And so Greg goes, let's try my plan now. <laughs> and then he has... He has the frog, and he shakes the frog and goes, the ring of the bell commands you. And then all of a sudden, they've got Lorna. And she goes, and uh, Greg goes, turn into a magical tiger. <laughs> like, uh, which is a fun little callback to his first wish for Beatrice in episode two. I also think it's maybe a little nod to Uncle Grandpa, which is like definitely an inferior cartoon, but also like magical flying tiger. Oh, I haven't seen Uncle Grandpa. My my father, this is an Allison Truge fact. <laughs> my father loves Uncle Grandpa and thinks it is a fine show. And so there there's flying uh, tigers in it? Yeah, there's a character called Magical Flying Tiger. Oh wow, that's that is a fun little cartoon network in joke. The one episode of Uncle Grandpa that I had the potential of seeing was the Steven Universe crossover episode. Yeah, the Steven Universe crossover episode is bad. And I remember the very first thing that Uncle Grandpa says to Steven is, oh, don't worry, this isn't canon. As like a little meta joke, so I just skipped it at that point. I want to retcon, it's actually not Magical Flying Tiger. The character's name is Giant Realistic Flying Tiger. Giant Realistic Flying Tiger. even though everything else in the episode is animated, uh, it's it's always a realistic tiger with like a rainbow far cloud behind it can confirm i'm looking at a google image search right now that allison truge has so kindly pulled up on her uh, cellular device that it is a real tiger like a picture of a real tiger with a little rainbow cloud fart uh which is nice and totally distracting from the horrific creature that's about to eat our heroes in this show uh i love the moment where wirt thinks oh wait you have the thing oh no hey give it to me now because uh, he's hijacking the plan <laughs> And then he just goes, leave Lorna alone and never come back. And that just banishes the spirit inside of her. Well, uh, what I like about that moment is it's leave Lorna alone, please. As his first thought in a way to protect the girl he's crushing on. And then he goes, and and go away and don't ever come back. Yeah, that should be the first thing you're thinking of and not about the cute girl that you met five minutes ago. Right. Uh, The spirit finally does. It uh, turns into the night, I guess. Like it, it... wisps about, then turns into a shrieking face, and then goes away. I wonder what this spirit's relationship to the beast is. I don't know if they're related. I feel that. I'm just thinking that, like, all the dark forces of this... I don't think that they have to be. Okay, that makes sense. Especially if uh, Auntie Whispers is related to uh, Adelaide. There's definitely some sort of way to connect the dots there. Uh, But there doesn't need to be for everyone. As soon as the spirit leaves Lorna's body, there is color in her skin for the first time. And she's also sitting in a bed of flowers, like blue flowers. It's so symbolic in a way that the show usually doesn't do so heavy-handedly. Right. Uh, But it's still a sweet little moment because, again, it's the end of the episode. They need to wrap things up. And she goes, Wart, you saved me in a really (laughs) sweet way. It's so, so cute. But she's like a real human now. Uh, Auntie Whispers comes out. And I love the shift in dynamic from, like, we're being scared of Auntie Whispers to, oh, Auntie Whispers was trying to protect her from herself. And then she starts crying. And she she goes, you'll have no need for Auntie Whispers anymore. Which is exactly what I say to all of my little slam babies who I am slam coach of at the end of every season. (laughs) 
and they go, Truge, stop. We've You're all making s- a fool of yourself. We've all seen Over the Garden Wall because of you. Please stop making jokes about it. <laughs> uh, and then going back on something she said earlier. Oh, she's not my real aunt. Uh, she says, no, no, Auntie Whispers, your family. And- well, I think this is a really interesting moment because it makes me really think about like the difference between Auntie Whispers and... Adelaide because you know what happened is she somehow came across Lorna and just decided to help her which is like so different from Adelaide literally like just philosophically different um and I feel like it it makes me think about like the humanity of that character versus the inhumanity of the other they're perfect foils they're perfect foils but in the sense of the show and how each episode sets them up individually I love that they both make little children do things for them like, in the same way that uh, Auntie Whispers is making Lorna do chores uh, is kind of what Adelaide wanted, but in a way that's a lot more... She she even says, I'm doing this for your own good, which we don't believe initially, but turns out it's true. Exactly. What do you think of the fact that this episode is so freaking terrifying and it's a children's show? Well, I think... So, knowing that this is one of Patrick McHale's favorite episodes, it really makes sense to me. Um, it just... It's a really self-contained episode that tells a very different kind of story. Um, It reminds me more of the comic in that this is like a little side quest kind of thing. I agree. It really doesn't impact the rest of the show, except that, you know, they helped uh, people. And they even mentioned at the end of the episode, you saved the day twice today. So they kind of remark on that in that it's a fun little adventure for them to go on. But... It's also so bleak and scary. Like, it's shockingly scary. I get nervous watching it, and I can't imagine what other people must think. I also feel like it's a really good flip on, like, an old-fashioned fairy tale, because we're taught to be afraid of the anti-whispers character, but what we should have been afraid of the whole time is Lorna. Exactly, exactly. And then the end of the episode is even more bleak, because we're is uh, even though he saved the day twice today, they still aren't any closer to home. They don't have a plan. (laughs) Uh, Greg says, oh, you have a plan. No, I lied. Oh, okay. Uh, And it gets bleak. This is the first time we really see Wirt give up. And we've seen him sad before because he does lots of poetry and we know when he's sad. But this is their first bout at, like, helplessness because they really don't know how to get home. Wirt doesn't even do poetry. He's so sad. Right. And I think one of the darkest moments of the entire series is in the end when the Beast is watching them. And there's another little bit of flavor between him and the Woodsman where he says, don't you care about the lantern? Don't you care about your daughter's soul? Etc. Etc. But it ends with, no, there has to be another way because you can't just buy and sell children's, buy and sell children's souls. And the beast says, no, there is only me, there is only my way, there is only the forest, and there is only surrender. And it is creepy as hell. It's a lot. That last part is said over a shot of Wirt's despairing face. Right. Because this is what everyone in the tavern especially was warning against, right? Was being uh, depressed and focusing on their job to avoid the beast and even at the beginning of this episode the woodsman says uh be hardy of mind and spirit and you'll be okay but he's not he's depressed it's the first time they don't have a direction and they don't know where to go exactly they're still moving forward which you know continues that theme but they don't have any sense of where to go next because at the end of last episode after the reveal they're just trying to get out of the storm which right. is at least somewhat of a purpose yeah well and that's where it ends that's where it ends and it's really really bleak um <laughs> 
<laughs> in episode four, there's the first implication that um, you'll be turned into a tree if you see if you uh, fall to the beast because. This is something I want to mention in that episode, but didn't, and I have a chance to mention now, is that they talk about uh, he'll turn you into oil for his lantern to burn, and then when Wirt sees an Adelwood tree again the next time, he says, huh, that tree, and there's like two warped faces in it, mm-hmm. and this is the first moment where the emotional uh, relevance of that hits, where there's only me, there's only the forest, there's only surrender, he wants to turn Wart into a tree. Right. And he's on his he's well on his way to becoming a tree. Exactly. Yeah, it's just it's terrifying and it makes you like think about like the woods that they're traveling in are fallen people. And the woodsman has that revelation in episode 10 and it is dark and it is uh this is the groundwork for that darkness. And I'm really excited to get to episode 10 and talk to you about it because it goes places you would not expect, but this is laying the groundwork for that intense intense emotion. Right. Anything else on this episode for you Allison Truge? I think we pretty much nailed it. Nailed it like uh the bones onto the wall in the basement of uh the creepy old house. You know, Brian, I wouldn't say that and I wouldn't say that at all. I'm glad <laughs> we recorded a lot of episodes in a row. Just but hey, now. thanks for listening, and uh, watch out for the next episode. We'll see you next time. Bye.